0: We came and we settled here um, and we, we pushed our way of life on tangata Māori, um, on the Māori people. And we've set up systems that benefit us the entire way through. It's everything that we do is built on, on pākehā ways. So it relates to business because we need to know that the way we do business is in, it's inherently racist because it is built on an ideal that we brought with us uh, when we colonised this country.
1: This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora, welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. No mai, haere you're very welcome. I'm your host, Andy Dixon, and it's good to have you with me. This podcast is about talking to people who are using their skills and experiences in their context to make a difference in the world. And today's guest not only does that herself, but helps others to do that through their businesses as well. Sal Lee runs Lee Development, where she gets alongside people wanting to make an impact in the world through business, and she helps them to achieve that goal. But if I said this was a conversation about business coaching and mentoring, I would be doing Sal a huge disservice, because what Sal is doing goes so much deeper than that. We talk about diversity and inclusion, the effects of colonisation even on the way we do business, and about how she gets alongside people, encouraging them into and then along on their own decolonisation journey. We also talk about why Sal is keen for people to know that charities aren't the only way to have an impact, and whether or not it's all worth it in the end. It's a truly inspiring and very challenging court at all. This is episode 54 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Sal Lee. Well, it's my privilege today to be talking to Sel Lee. Kia ora Sel. Kia ora Andy. Uh, nō who are you, where are you from?
0: Uh Sel tōku ingoa, uh, he kaitōhu to i lead Development. Lee um, Development. I'm Sel, I'm the lead strategist at Lee Development. Um, we are a tangata organisation that supports impact um, into business and not-for-profits.
1: And you're a, you're a mum as well? I'm a
0: mum, I'm a mum of three. Um, I've got a six-year-old Darcy, um, nearly four-year-old Jonty, and tomorrow I'll have a one-year-old um, wow. Huxley.
1: <laughs> well, I'll Celebrate a year with three. Yeah, it's pretty big. Those it's... those first birthdays are more about the parents than the kids, eh?
0: <laughs> Do you know what, we did massive uh, um, Darcy when she was born, but Jonty actually Jonty's never had a birthday party. <laughs> um, she's yeah. having a first first big party this year, yeah. um, and Huxley will just will have
1: cake. <laughs> yeah. We just kind of did family stuff, and now it's got some when they were five, and then we did... I oh, we did one when they were six, because that was the first time they really had school friends, yeah. and then they didn't get another one until they were ten, uh, which Sophia got end of last year, and Mackenzie will get early next year, so... To be fair, the
0: first birthday with Darcy, we just said, we're never doing that again, and then each year she asked for one, so she got it, whereas
1: Jonty's only just started to like people. Now I... <laughs> <laughs> Now she's asking. Uh, kids are so different. <laughs> um, so... Your role with lead development, um, it sound like even just in your brief description there, it sounds like quite a diverse thing. Yeah. Do you want to describe a bit about what you do yeah. as part
0: of that? So it is, it's really big. So I, I break our business down into two. Um, there is the business arm of it, which is coaching and support for people that are trying to find their way in business. And I've niched down into specialising in impact because I find that the people I talk to inherently want to do good in yep. the world, um, so if, I'm going to backtrack a little bit as well and talk okay. about the, the other arm, the other arm is not-for-profit support, so this all came about, I've been supporting businesses for over 20 years, um, educating not-for-profits on how to start up and educating businesses on how to start up and I thought I knew quite a lot um, and I had a situation where I needed to, to create some impact in the world and I set up a charity. And I learned really quickly that I actually knew very little, (laughs) but by that stage I was really committed um, and putting in all the hours uh, and I burnt out. Um, So I was operating my own business by that stage, but I redid my business in reflection of my own experience um, Mm. to teach people that actually you don't need to run a charity to change the world, you can do it via a business and make some money doing it um, and actually create better impact. So in the business, um, we teach people how they can integrate impact within the organisation. Um, I focus heavily on diversity and inclusion um, when I'm teaching people. And in the not-for-profit space, we teach them how to be sustainable. Uh, Because most people have an idea, they start a charity, they set it up, and then they realise that actually, although that was hard, that was the easiest part of the entire journey.
1: And that if you want to have an impact, you've actually still got to be around to do it.
0: Absolutely. Um, and most people, by the time they get to me, they are starting to unravel um, and, and hit rock bottom pretty hard.
1: Is is some of that that their hopes and dreams were too big or is some of it just that they don't know where to get the support? A bit of or both.
0: Of... Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. Um, I, I, I tracked a lot of creatives. Um, and, and I find with them they, they've they got this incredible idea and everyone is behind them but once they get to the point where they actually they, they need to scale they can't sustain the growth that they have gotten to but they don't know where to go to, to get the, the support to actually make it bigger yeah. and so they spiral downwards because if you grow too fast then you don't have the systems in place people get disappointed, the customer journey is terrible and all of a sudden people go well that's too big I'm, I'm not ready to be involved in that
1: yeah I think actually for for our business we were just lucky that Bex had done that creative kind of getting things up and running and it was growing mm. um, and then my redundancy journey came at a point where it made sense for me to jump on board and we had that redundancy payout to kind of tide us over a little bit so I could just jump in and have a crack and see what happened um, and then I could bring in the systems and things that, mm. as a super creative person, wasn't necessarily her strong point. Um, but yeah, I can totally get why others who it didn't work like that for would end up in a place where it was just hard.
0: Yeah, and it's it it's really hard on them. And you can see it, there's, there's a lot of tears when we first start working. Yeah. Um, so a lot of what I do with the not-for-profits is actually setting the governance up correctly. Right. Um, So we get their boards up and running and and making sure, because a lot of the people that volunteer to do this aren't experienced and they think they know how to run run a governance board, but actually that's got its own set of challenges, the the legal culpability and and knowing that you're actually doing things right. It's more than just turning up to a meeting or saying, yeah, we can apply for funding, uh, especially post-COVID, because funding is just not available the same Mm -hmm. way as it used to be.
1: I think that's something I learnt in one of my roles. I I worked for Pathway Trust. Mm who do prisoner reintegration stuff, and I work for their employment wing, Oak Tree, who
0: um,
1: employ guys who have come out of prison, try and get them a foot in the employment door. And I burnt out through that. I I went into depression, you know, Mm. a whole lot of stuff was part of my journey there. And the big learning I got from it was that you can totally, 100% believe in something and not be the right person for that particular role. And... So I could come away from that going, actually, I'm going to keep like championing that and telling people about it and celebrating it. But actually, I'm not the one that needs to be on the ground doing the stuff. And I, I could see the same sort of thing, you know, with the boards that people are like. Well, you know, I believe in this. Yeah. But actually, that's not always enough. You know, you need the knowledge, you need the experience, and behind that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have the system set up to support people, then your goodwill doesn't really count yeah. for a huge amount.
1: Yeah. Um, how did you get into, like you said, you've been doing coaching, development stuff for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. How did you end up doing that? What were you doing before that? How did that happen? <laughs> did you just kind of fall into it?
0: Or? Yeah, I kind of did. Um, so I'm, I worked for government for 13, 13 years. Um, and then the earthquakes happened and I got redeployed. And I worked in economic redevelopment. So my role was to help businesses start up but successful businesses, businesses that were actually viable before the earthquake. And so it was what I discovered really quickly is that although these, these businesses had been successful, it was accidental success for a lot of them. Right. They'd never had the planning or the structure in place. They just happened to have an idea and be in the right place at the right time. Uh, a lot of them didn't have insurance. The majority of businesses we worked with did not have insurance. Uh, and so that that was a real financial hit for, for many of them. They mm. didn't have what they needed to have in place to, to move and to restart. But more than that, they didn't know who their clients were. They didn't know who their ideal customer base was, and they couldn't really define what it was that they did. Um, an exception to that would be Harper. I oh, don't kn- knew yep. exactly when she, she did hers. So supporting them through to rediscover who their client base was, mm. Uh, to restart their businesses, um, to move where they were, and to negotiate with insurance was was a, a pivotal moment mm. for me. Uh, I realised that I wasn't actually that happy working for government. Um, I wanted to go out and help people in need instead of just chasing people for for their obligations. Uh, so I set I set in motion a plan. Um, I eventually left. I went and managed a bank and discovered that that wasn't really it either. Yeah. <laughs> And then we got pregnant, um, and while on maternity leave i I was a bit bored, uh, so I started volunteering, and I started working more heavily with the business mentors clients that I had been working, so I volunteered with them as well, and realized that that still wasn't quite it, but I really I needed I needed to keep my head busy, mm. so I started charging for what I was doing for other people, um, and there was quite an uptake in it.
1: Mm.
0: I was really just putting my skills to use.
1: I like yeah. that idea, though, that going, actually, this, this feels like sort of it, but mm. not quite it, mm. so let's keep just digging around here. Because yeah. um, I think it's pretty easy to settle when it's kind of almost it. Mm. You're like, oh, I'll just grab that.
0: Yeah. No, it wasn't, it wasn't right. Um, so I was doing a lot. I got referred to a lot of clients in start-up, but it really didn't feel... Like what I wanted to do. Um, and so I eventually I got introduced to a couple of people who wanted to go out and create some more good. Uh, and they were all going to the charity route. <laughs> no, 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 we're not going to do that. Um, so we talked them through how they could actually make an impact in another way. So my, mm. my business has evolved a lot over the last five and a half years. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's the last three years that have been really, 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 um, they've really impacted on it. Yeah. Yeah, And even since COVID, has changed significantly again. I can help start-ups, but I'm better working with people who have already got a business in place and, and are stuck. It's not going the way they expected it to go. Uh, they want to, to do better than they had been doing. Uh, and the charities, again, they're usually they're in place and they need that help now. So I'm, be, I'm better to unpack the pieces and help them to put the structure in place mm-hmm. than I am to help someone with a start-up. Yeah. I enjoy it more.
1: You say that. Your Mahi, your work is underpinned by diversity, equity, mm-hmm. and inclusion. Mm-hmm. What's the focus on that? Like, what what brought that about? Um, a really strong sense of social justice. Yep. <laughs> and I guess
0: I've always had that, um, but again, that's that COVID thing. That's mm-hmm. that's really brought it out for me. Uh, oh gosh! During the first lockdown, I I saw a video on my LinkedIn feed, um, and it was a uh, Tāne Māori, teaching people how to, how to speak te reo, and I looked at that and I, I went back and I watched that video quite a few times, and then I realised that he did one quite regularly. So I chased up, kept watching, kept following, uh, and eventually got in contact with him. Um, and Tūrao Bartlett and his wife Amy run an organisation called Manavation, and that spoke really strongly to me. At that, that stage they were a social enterprise that were teaching people to speak te reo Basic but actually to understand With a te ao Māori uh, perspective yeah. on it And they did it through Patreon um, So you, you pay for a subscription And you got some te reo lessons You got to come together with other people Once a week at that stage We are meeting on Sundays And they put out videos for free But the money that they used from this Went towards teaching um, Māori Who had had their language displaced yeah. And so it was about reclamation for them um, And that. It came back to a a long-time love for me of te reo Māori and and Māori culture uh, and realising that it always taught people to do the right thing, but actually Mm. I didn't understand as much as I needed to. Te reo enabled me to learn a lot more. Um, And so for me, the diversity, equity and inclusion, that's about the decolonisation journey Mm. that we all need to undergo in order to actually allow people well not allow but enable people to to reclaim themselves because mm. you and I are directly, indirectly responsible for this language being torn from people. Yeah. You know, from that mind from that shame of them not being able to go back and learn. Because a lot of people will say, Go and learn your language. But it's not as simple as that. Mm. You know, three, four generations ago we tore we it from them. We we punished mm. them for speaking it. You know, people's parents are still alive experience that experienced yeah. that. And so that's the diversity, equity and inclusion that I teach. is about um, being responsive treaty partners and understanding what um, Te Tiriti or Waitangi means Mm. uh, and knowing that it's not actually the same thing as the Treaty of Waitangi um, and understanding how you can put that into play Mm. in your business and do that responsibly and not just quoting shit (laughs) that that you've learnt at work because I was guilty of that as well. Um, So yeah, that's a really long answer to your question. No, uh,
1: I think that that shame thing is something that those of us who are Pākehā just don't Mm. necessarily get. No. Um, But when I did te reo classes, it was actually, it seemed to be the older Māori in the class Mm -hmm. who struggled the most. And that was because not only were they trying to learn this language, but they had the shame of not already knowing it attached to that. Um, And it just, I could see it was breaking them. Yeah. And yet here they were determined to try and get it back. And yet I was just going, hey, this would be a really good thing to do. Yeah. You know, and and it didn't come with any of that. No. You know, and it was a, I could choose to do it or not. And yet for them, they never had the choice. Right. No. And yet now they do have the choice, but it comes with all of that shame and all of that baggage. and yeah. And especially if they've got uh, whanau that can call it all. Mm-hmm. Māori, uh, and they can't, mm-hmm. you know, then even more so.
0: Yeah, understanding that and knowing that it's it's actually just as bad for us to go and learn that and then parade that around. You know, we, we need to understand that it's not just the words, the, the kūpū that we're saying, it's actually, there's more to it. Mm-hmm. It's understanding why we say what we say, because then that creates safety for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say safety because if if we're just talking about how we we know Te Māori, and then we've got Māori over there who aren't able to to speak Te Māori, then you open yourself up, um, and it's not it's not creating safe spaces for them. Mm. Um, it's yeah, <laughs> it's a really it's a it's a big thing to unpack.
1: Yeah, so I mean I've heard you talk on your Instagram and stuff about how you would now describe some of what you do or the kind of the guts of what you do as actually a decolonisation journey. Do you want to just explain, you know, we we were just talking about business coaching and doing good in the world and now we're talking about (laughs) decolonisation. How do those things fit together?
0: Yeah, so decolonisation is the process of understanding, I guess, colonisation and and what the impact of that is on on people. So a really huge, huge topic, but basically Pākehā came and, and... Settled in Aotearoa, um and I deliberately use Māori kupu, the words, uh, to describe the process. So we we came and we settled here, um, and we we pushed our way of life on tangata Māori, um, on the Māori people, and we've set up systems that benefit us the entire way through. So Everything that we do is built on on Pākehā ways. Mm. They're not built on on Māori ways. And they don't work. They don't work for Māori. And Mm. that's why we have huge health discrepancies. It's why we have um, structural inequities in the system. It's why... You know, that old running joke that most of the, the people on the dole are Māori. It's, it's not a joke, it's, it's actual life because we set up our systems, forced it on Māori and mm-hmm. forced our language and our culture and our way of doing everything on them. So it relates to business because we need to know that the way we do business is in, it's inherently racist because it is built on an ideal that we brought with us uh, mm-hmm. when we colonised this country. Um, So, decolonization is a process of understanding that, recognizing it, and taking steps to create changes that will make it more fair and equitable for others. The inclusion comes when you create the diversity, um, and the equity comes when you have an inclusive workspace. And it's not it's not just a case of, okay, so we need to, to speak to reo Māori. We need to, to chuck a karakia in here mm. and we need, to, we need to bless some food and we need to get some Māori some guy. Um, so we need to get some Māori um, in here to, to open up a meeting. <laughs> it's, it's understanding actually why those practices occur for Māori, mm. uh, when it's appropriate to have them in play and then, then to understand that it's not just having those people there and those practices, but actually what they mean. What what significance do they hold, and how does that create fairness for for all? Yeah, it does. It's it's a huge topic, and it's not just as simple as as saying okay. So we need to understand some language. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it's there's some really good resources out there. There are some really good resources out there, and I highly encourage people to read to find out.
1: Mm. Mm. I think, and that's really important because, I mean, even just the fact that you use the word racist. You know, for some people now listening to this, they'll be a bit.
0: Oh, they're going to get angry and they'll be jumping up and down and they will absolutely. It's not me. I'm sorry. It is you because you're just as racist as I am. Because we can't help it. Mm -hmm. It's the culture that we grew up in. So no matter how anti-racist you think you are, you until you have actually walked a mile in somebody else's shoes, you still have a racist bone in your body.
1: Mm -hmm. And and some of that's because even if we don't realise it, we're operating within and supporting the structures that exist. Yep,
0: absolutely. And and our language, our foundation of our language is built on, on racism. There are so many of the terms that we use in language every single day that, that have racist um, histories. Mm. It's, yeah, once you start looking, you can't unsee it. And, and the trick is that you've got to actually actively be anti-racist every mm. single day of your life. It's not as simple as, okay, I'm, I'm not racist. Yep. Um, yeah,
1: because I am. And if your bar for being racist is actively hating people of colour, mm-hmm. then then you could say that you're not racist. Mm-hmm. But if if we l- take a step back and realise actually these systems in play work for some people and don't mm-hmm. work for others, and it tends to be along race lines, yep. then you can start to go, actually, there's some work to do here. Yeah. And yeah, we're not all going to be experts at it, right. but it's the starting that journey is really important, isn't it?
0: It's huge. Um, and so, is that
1: you're guiding people along that process? Yeah,
0: it is. So, and and really important to I think to mention that although I coach people on diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'm not the person to teach them exactly what that is. Yeah. Um, because I am um, I'm cis hetero. I'm I'm a white female straight straight female. Um, I don't have experienced life as a person of colour, I don't have experience as a marginalised person, um, I'm not part of the rainbow community so I can't speak for them, I've got nothing going against me other than the fact that traditionally I've been smashed by the patriarchy, <laughs> And I, I do pretty well at holding my own on that. So, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, And until you've walked a mile in somebody else's shoes, mm. um, you, you're not the person to, to teach. So I can mm. I can open somebody's eyes about it, but they need to go and explore that themselves with the mm. right people to teach them.
1: I think that's a really good point too, that, I mean, in my experience, Pākehā are more likely to listen to someone who's Pākehā yeah. when saying this stuff, because it's harder to dismiss that mm-hmm. as... Whining or you yeah. know all of those yeah things that we place on others yeah. who are different from us yeah. um, and yet you're also saying well now I've introduced them to this then it's time to point them in other directions yeah.
0: and the important thing too is that you need to pay for that expertise um, because it's not fear you you're actually just yeah. perpetuating that burden on if if you're going to go and and you want to learn some money then you need to go and pay. Mm-hmm. A, a Māori translator mm-hmm. you need to pay somebody who professionally does this and not expect your your Māori friends to step up and do yeah. the karakia yeah? just because they're, they're Māori doesn't mean they're the token person to do it uh, same goes for, and I talk a lot about the, the Māori journey because it's really important that we focus that, they are indigenous people, mm-hmm. so we need to look at it from that angle, but what's good for Māori is good for everybody Yeah. so not just asking your Māori friends don't, don't do the same thing for you, to your gay friends don't ask mm-hmm. them yeah
1: yeah. I, had a, I had an experience of that where I, I was quite early in my journey of understanding what it meant for someone to be trans mm-hmm. and then someone who I know um, actually became non-binary or mm-hmm. didn't become non-binary. It became clear that yeah. they were non-binary yeah. and I wanted to mm-hmm. know a bit more about that. So I emailed them mm-hmm. and said, hey, would you mind sharing your journey with me? And then didn't hear anything back and didn't hear anything back while I then went and did, you know, some of my own work and then came back to them like a year later and was like, I am so sorry for yeah. having emailed you that because that's, it just wasn't fair. No. You know, and they responded going, yeah, kind of felt like that at the time. Didn't know how to respond because actually this isn't that big a deal to me. It <laughs> um, <laughs> might be to you, but actually, you know, I didn't need that. Yeah. And so it's, it's that... The whole thing of going how can we learn and become educated mm-hmm. without being a burden and, and i like what you're saying about actually you might need to actually put your money where your mouth is on yeah. that and pay for some education um pay the people who have gone actually i'm going to create some stuff to help you along this because then you're not going to be the sort of person that's adding extra weight to your mates um, or to the people that you know they might not even be your mates but the someone you know who fits this box if you come in you'll make us look better, you'll help me yeah. but actually I'm just marginalising you again yeah. because I'm taking taking, taking yeah. and yeah. It's,
0: it, it's that concert, Gina, We even talking we've both had to check ourselves on our language yeah. you know, when I say allow I actually mean enable because mm. allowing is just, that smashing them down even more um, it's it, it's a constant learning journey that we're mm. on, and it's a it's a deeply uncomfortable learning mm. journey. And I'll challenge people, and if anybody follows me on LinkedIn, they'll quite often see I get into wee spats with people, because <laughs> um, I, I, I'll, I'll I'll correct somebody on something, and and it comes it always comes with a place of actually gently, mm. um, but if they're going to challenge on it, then I'm going to throw it back again, and and I quite often get maybe your ancestors were like that, but. Yeah, well, actually, I don't know what my ancestors were like because I've never actually met them. And history, there's always two sides to it. Um, if we go, and I guess this, this is a bit of a diversion, but if you go and look through the the history of the wars, and you'll see that there's always a, a monument to some white person who's done great stuff, and, and the Māori were horrible, horrible people. But actually, if you dig into it, you'll invariably find that there was a reason that mm. there was a bit of a massacre there, and it wasn't the Māori's fault. Mm. It's just that we've, we've put people up on a pedestal that shouldn't be there. Mm. Yeah,
1: I've, I've got a friend who, in his I don't know, late 20s, early 30s, started exploring what it meant for him to be Māori, because mm. he'd basically been raised Pākehā. And, and he said, oh, you know, I got taught at school that could cut down a flagpole. <laughs> I, I didn't get taught that he cut it down because it was on his land.
0: Yeah, or that he, he you know, provided it.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, there's all this extra stuff around yeah. the outside of it that actually...
0: We whitewash. We just Yeah.
1: we And we don't know because it's uncomfortable. It's easier to tell it in a way that doesn't have that yeah. uncomfortable stuff in it.
0: And it's human nature, right? So we the the one thing i really want to stress to anybody on this journey if you if you're brave enough to acknowledge and stand up in the face of of what it means to be queer and and acknowledge all of the shit that goes with it if you're going mm. to unpack that it's going to hurt you are going to be uncomfortable you're mm. going to want to scream and cry um not my not my family but acknowledging it mm. is is a good start and you are going to be fine mm. it's going to hurt but you're going to be fine and Bigger than that, the people that learn from your journey mean that more people will be fine.
1: Mm-hmm. How has all this been received by your clients?
0: Incredibly well. Incredibly well. Um, so I I <laughs> tell people from the start, there's a few things when, when people work with me. Um, one, that's usually going to be a child at most meetings. Um, my whanau always come first. Um i fact, David Darcy's standing waving out of the window right at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And two, I'm going to I'm gonna talk about topics that's going to make them uncomfortable. And I've only had one person not come back to me. Um, and that's because I challenged an ideology that way they were they were stating in a meeting. Um, and yeah, they've they've not come back to me again, they've not responded. But that's I'm not for everyone. Who, yeah. yeah. It's it's their journey just as much as mine. But no, most of them are really good, and once they start to unpack it, there's there's a lot more learning. I've majority of the clients I work with actually enrolled in the same classes that I do, right. uh, which is cool. It's nice. it's nice to know that I can actually I can spread that awareness, um, play that small part on their journey.
1: So, what sort of difference have you seen it make for businesses that you're taking them on this sort of journey of inclusion of? equity, you know, all of them. Yeah,
0: it's good. It's really good. Most of them um, put in place firm policies. Um, I've had a few who've realised that they weren't in the right stage of their journey to be doing what they wanted to do, and so they've gone back to basics. Um, it's it's very early days for majority of them. I've only been mm. doing this with them for a couple of years. Uh, but most of them, yeah, they, they've got really good foundations. They speak up more. I mm. see them actually correcting other people. Um, they learn to pronounce words correctly and they challenge others and in challenging others they're challenging their own behaviour mm. um, I think I give them some bravery you know, the the knowledge that they are enough and they can do they can do this mm. most of them want to create change um, and so I guess I allow them to be real and, and they take that step um, yeah there's, some are still still sitting on the fence they're not quite there yet yeah but yeah it does it it opens up business for them. Um, I've got a long-term client who's actually, she's Māori as well. Um, and I, I didn't know that when I first started working with her because she's white passing. Um, and she's, she's getting braver, which is awesome. She's, she's totally embraced the fact that she is Māori. Um, she speaks about it now. Uh, she's actively learning te reo. Um, she's learning her culture. Uh, so she doesn't just go and support uh, Māori. She is Māori. Mm. Um, and she is rocking it. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome.
1: I like that too when the white Western way of doing mm-hmm. it is to say, Oh, you know, I'm a percentage Maori. Oh, no. Whereas they're just like, No, well I'm Maori. Yeah, you know, I fuck a too, or or descend from this place. hmm um, and yeah, I think that's really cool to, to see people like this this friend that I was saying before about Honey you know, his realisation that he was Maori has changed his whole life. Yeah. And actually he's now he's been employed by the Anglicans in New Plymouth to run a bicultural centre. Cool. Oh. Um, and you know, that's his life work now is, is educating people on the history of, of Aotearoa, um, particularly as it connects with the church, um, which is full of good and bad. Um, and and him going, actually we've gotta own this, yeah. you know, as um, you know, he's saying, as people of the church, we've gotta own this that this is our history. Yeah. Can't say it's not my history. This is what what the people that we're standing on the shoulders of did. Um, yeah, and and so yeah, to see people like your client just embracing the identity, I I love that. Yeah, it's
0: awesome. That's mm. really cool. So there's, yeah, there, there's always challenges on it too. And I've got another client who's you can she is Māori. You can tell she's Māori. She's not white passing, um, but she's one who's, who's not had the language. Yep. She's not had it with her, and so others others challenge her on that. Mm. Um, and that's that's painful for them. Mm. That's really painful for them. So it's not it's not without its challenges. Mm. Um, but being able to be here and to be able to say, you know, not, not that you need me to say it, but got you're Yamari, mm. that should be enough. Um, and to be able to support that with with real business tools for them, that's that's mm. kind of cool. I like I like being able to play that small part.
1: Yeah, I love that you like you said you focus on businesses who want to do an impact. Mm-hmm. But I love that you're having an impact in terms of, you know, creating this equity and whatever while you're helping them to have an impact. So it's, you you know, you're practicing what you preach yeah. as you're doing it, okay. which is, you know, you're not just going in and here's the five steps to oh, this, no, no. you know. Um, so that's that's really cool. Um, what sort of uh, impact focuses have some of your clients got? You know, what sort of thing, things are we talking about? Oh, is it all around yeah. Maori stuff or no. is, it, is it really diverse?
0: It's really diverse so I've got um, one mental health appears to be a, quite a, a strong theme. Uh, so I've got one who focuses on the community aspect of what they do and um, giving back. I've got another one who works with uh, intimate partner violence um, there's the marginalised communities so providing voices to marginalised communities so providing that, that support on a on a, on a more equitable basis than others would. Uh, there are support for disabled um, people, so making sure that they have, have an accessible future. Uh, I've got rainbow clients. Um, also, I've got uh, somebody who wants to empower others uh, to, to live their best life, and they do that for a, a variety of means, and so there's no... Mm. They're, they're trying to be more culturally responsible mm. and it's only as they work through their process because they also work in the area of intimate partner violence that they realise that they are lacking and so it's for them it's not just a fact that they actually may not get some um, contracts, it's actually, oh my god, I didn't realise that we weren't doing it this way, we weren't doing that right. Uh, health is changing, so there's a couple of health clients, yeah, it, it, they're all mm. over the place, so no, it's not all Māori but there's always a basis to it.
1: Yeah. Why I wanted to ask you that is because there's just such a myriad of ways that we can do good in the world. Oh
0: my gosh, so much.
1: And to hear even that small breadth of stuff, you know, is really encouraging to me mm. that there's people seeing things that they're like, actually, that's not right. No. You know, I'm going to do something about that. Or going, actually, how can I create more happiness or more joy for these kind of people? Or, yeah,
0: and there's biggest thing I want people to know is that you don't have to create a charity to create good in the world you mm. can go out and you can create a seven eight figure um, dollar business and you can make more of an impact than if you are slaving your guts out mm. creating a charity and giving everything to people because when you're making money then you've got fulfillment in there. you've got you've got the ability mm. to actually fund what you want to do and if you want to give back by donating money that's one way to do it but there are so many more ways than that. You can yeah. donate your time. You can create uh, more equity for people by opening spaces up. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to give money to create impact. You don't have to work your guts out, volunteering your time to create impact. Yeah. Sometimes it's the hardest thing because people see how hard you work and you're never going to get anybody else to take over your space. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the fastest way to burn yourself out and your organisation because no, nobody's going to put their hand up to, to work for nothing all hours of the day and night you know, make some money off it pay people what they're worth and yeah. we should right if we if you're running a charitable organization and you're talking about creating equity for people then why wouldn't you pay the people that are helping you to do that you know otherwise you're just you're being hypocritical
1: mm. <laughs> it's interesting actually this has come up repeatedly this mm. year particularly on the podcast that, um you know talking to age palmer from Eddington Coffee mm. and, and you know, they are a business, Yes. they've set up as a business, they've then branched out into several other businesses, and they're doing good through that, Yeah. Um, through providing money, but also through networking, through being a, a place that can sell the things that ladies over in India are making, yeah. um, they're, so they're financially supporting that, but then they're seeing the community change over there, and then they're being a place over here that yeah. can actually start to sell on behalf of them. You know, and, and earlier, um, I talked to Stephen Moe, who's a lawyer. Yep. Seems great. And, yeah, I mean, he he's even looking at, well, how can we create a legal category? Because there's kind of nothing no. sitting between charitable status and straight-out business. Mm-hmm. But what if we had something in the middle that gave people incentive to want to do that? But. Because it's um, quite hard to set up that hybrid model as well. Yeah, um, And when I,
0: I talked in the beginning about Manovation um, uh, and Kurokawa and Amy's journey, and, and at that stage that we signed up, they were a social enterprise and they, they were doing it. And people would pay a, a small mm. amount, a very small amount, for Te Reo Māori lessons, and then that money would go mm. to do things. Um, they actually have a thriving business now. Mm. It is, it's, They charge decent money for courses that are accessible online, but they still have that social model, and they still gift things to people. Yeah. You know, they're still supporting to, to revitalise that language. And... Yeah, it's the, just the proof that you don't have to give everything away. You can actually charge what you're worth, make a decent income, um, and still still have that thriving impact.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's um, what's one of your favourite parts of this journey? When people get it,
0: <laughs> when you see that realization dawn, um, whatever it is, and and they go and they put it into play. Um, and that can be so broad, but for me it's when people stop questioning themselves so much over what whether they're worth it uh, and whether the impact they're going to make is is worth it because it's always worth it yeah. it's always worth it yeah. um when people realize that they can actually make money out of what they're doing i mean when you can monetize what you're doing to create that impact that's that's worth it yeah it's yeah. There are there are so many moments to it, but it's always that part when people realise that it doesn't have to be that hard and that overwhelming and they, they start to listen. So I've had one last week and I've been saying the same thing to her for a year now. And then she spoke to somebody else and she came back and went, Okay, right, they just said the same thing you do. So <laughs> So like, are we gonna stop seeking those quick wins now and we're gonna do what Yep, we're going to do what you said we're going to do, Sal. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. People have got to go on their own journey. Yeah. And you've got to be there to, to support
1: them. But yeah. when they realise it's just, it's awesome because then things skyrocket. You said uh, right at the start that part of what got you onto the journey you're on now is uh, setting up a trust mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that was? Yeah. Um, if, if you don't mind me yeah. digging in. Um, <laughs> I know it wasn't a, an easy journey for you, but you no. know, what, what was that about so, and what's that become now?
0: When, I think when Dulcie was three, um, a friend of ours was diagnosed with a brain tumour um, and it turned out to actually be terminal brain cancer. Um, his wife was pregnant, so that with their second child, um, and all of a sudden she was faced with the future with this diagnosis that he may not actually be there for the birth of that baby. Um, but while that was hard, um, it was the loss of his income overnight, and also her income overnight, because all of a sudden she had to care for him. Um, so not only was she facing life a future without her life partner, um, without the parents to her children, without the father to the children, um, there was no income. They had, they had a mortgage, she had a business, um, and they didn't qualify for any support because in our, in our beautiful system, um, they were financially secure because they had a house, That even though they could no longer pay for it. <laughs> they had a house, they had assets, they had wealth, um, and they had insurance, but the insurers were not keen to pay out either. There's nothing in our system, unless you have a very set diagnosis that, that falls within the criteria the, government, the government's in place, you don't qualify for support. Um, now, she, she's intelligent she was very clued up um, and she couldn't navigate the journey very well. Um, what hope do people have who haven't got that experience? Mm. Anyway, we, we rallied around them and wanted to use our skills. I say we because a, there was a whole group. It wasn't just me. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to use our skills to be able to support them. There was There wasn't a huge amount we could do. People were throwing money at them. They were throwing information at them and it was just overwhelming for her. So I suggested that we set up a, um, an organisation to filter some of that, um, and we did. We, we filtered all the fundraising, all of the information, and organised meals and stuff through that. And when things started to look like they were coming right for them, so when their insurance paid out and they realised that actually they, were, they had a bit more time than they thought, they asked us to formalise that and turn it into a charity. And so the Tahu Hekaroa Foundation has been a charity for a few years now and we support brain tumour patients in need of support. Now that's important to stipulate that it's brain tumour patients and not brain cancer patients, because if you have cancer um, there are a lot of organisations that support you. But if you have a brain tumour, and a lot of them will be cancer, but because of the place, um, not many are diagnosed that way because it's dangerous surgery. Um, so brain tumour, it's a neurological condition. It impacts your ability to work. It impacts your your mood, your personality, uh, and it means that invariably the caregiver has to give up their income as well too. So we, we provide practical support by basically funding them what they need. Right.
1: Um,
0: we're not we're not a big organisation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but we provide practical support. We we provide. Groceries, or cleaning, or you know, just the little things that help get them through, and we connect them to other places that can help them along their journey too. Um, we've got Joe is such as Tahu's widow. Um, Tahu passed away, oh God, over a year ago now, um, and he sh- he he left he left a legacy, and she's continuing that legacy. So we've got his name, um, his wife is sharing his love. Awesome. yeah and she talks practically from her journey as well mm-hmm. really long answer to your question again oh, no, that's, yeah <laughs> yeah my burnout on that one was that I, I was the person who set up um who drove the setup of it uh, and because I didn't have the full-time job um, I could work around everything I just threw myself into it um, and everybody else was there to support what I mm-hmm. needed but I was the one that was doing
1: and when it's someone you you emotionally mm. hear about as well that's on top of all the mm. the work stuff, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Um, but we've I and mean, we're all friends and family, so we've um, there's four of us, four, or five, five of us. Yeah, five of us. You can't Joe. Um, okay, Lou. So I've got Kat, Lou, Dan, myself, and then Joe. Um, so Dan is Toe's brother. Lou is one of his oldest friends. Kat um, was the coach of his football team um, and a really good friend. And me. So, yeah. It's it's and nice so to be able to do, do things for them.
1: Yeah, so this is then something good that having gone through that experience together you can help other people who are in that same yeah. situation to be able to not have to start from scratch Yeah, the way that you guys did.
0: Yeah, so Sammy same. I mean, I... God, I, I taught people for years on on what they needed to do and the compliance stuff, um, what they had to do from a business standpoint, from from a legal organisation standpoint, but actually walking that journey and realising that putting it all together wasn't as simple as that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my days were spent um, contacting people, anybody that I could to to get some help, because uh, it's not just about funding it. It's a about getting the actual, the practical support that you need along your journey, who's, who's your network, who you advocating for. Um, yeah. Dealing with the patient journey was was stressful because I was usually the one that was contacting the people that was needing yeah. support. and Yeah, it was just, it was hard. Um, and we were all too close to it. Yeah. And when Tahu died, it was, none of us wanted to do anything with it either. And we, we all had the guilt, which just, you know, that's part of the journey too. You know, we should be doing this, we should, but we can't, I can't face it. Yeah. Um, And so realizing that we needed to do something, we all decided we wanted out, but none of us wanted to let go. (laughs) So it was then that we talked about, actually, we need to bring Jo in. Um, And actually it turns out she wanted to be part of it. We'd all been sheltering her, but she she, she really wanted to be doing this. And she's doing an incredible job. So she's now our front-facing person, which is good because she's walked this journey. So instead of the rest of us trying to read a million articles, trying to understand what people are talking about, um, she's actually she's been along it because she's taken taken Tahu through it. She's taken herself through it, and she's still in that community. Mm. The rest of us shut it all down, but she's actually she she's, it gives her something. Mm. Oh, so it's yes, yeah, it's, it's it's nice, and we're getting there. We're we're coming mm. back out of our fog.
1: Nice. Yeah. it's oh, good to hear. Oh, thank you so much for taking time to talk today you welcome. Um, thank you for your, your focus on doing good in the world and helping others to do the same. Thank you for what you're doing to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth.
0: Thank you. Hello, hello heaven. Will I hear you whisper to come near.
1: I love how Sal says, For me it's when people stop questioning themselves so much over whether they're worth it, and whether the impact they're going to make is worth it, because it's always worth it. How good that in a kōrero about business, we get right back to people's value as people. Sal hasn't lost sight of the fact that in the end, this is about people. So. Thank you for challenging us and encouraging us to keep working on ourselves and the spaces over which we hold influence. Here is a blessing for you. Sell. May you continue to find joy in seeing people and businesses you are working with realising their dreams of making an impact and may you continue to attract like-minded people to share this journey with. May you continue to find ways in which you can learn and grow as you look to ensure all are welcomed and all are valued, and may the people and businesses you work with thrive from their own journeys as you lovingly challenge them towards a better way. May you feel the support of your whanau and your community, knowing that you are not alone in this good work, but that there are many cheering you on. May your children be blessed as they grow up seeing a world where others matter, where inclusion is a way of life, and where doing good in the world is just what we do. And lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I talk to Hannah Hardy-Jones about the Kite Programme, an app that grew out of her experience with postpartum bipolar disorder after the birth of her first child. We talk about that experience, about how the app came to be, what difference it's making now and is capable of making in the future, and her desire to see people's mental health nurtured and supported. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tauma i tō tanga, kia mea te tau e pai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite ki Humai ki a mātou aenei, he taroma mātou mo tēnei rā. hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei, e o te hunga e hara ana ki a mātou. Aua hoki mātou e kawea, ki a whakawaea, e ngari whakorangi a i te kino. Aami.